a very good morning to you all. A very happy Easter to those of you watching today. I'm sure each of us would not have expected to be celebrating or thinking about Easter in this way. I don't think any of us thought that we'd be thinking about Easter in a lockdown situation, perhaps separated from family members and friends. Our expectations of the year 2020 are likely to be very, very different to the current reality. And as I was thinking about this, I thought about Jesus' followers, the disciples. On the Friday night, Good Friday as Christians call it, they had seen their master, their teacher, their leader, their friend beaten and mocked, wept and tortured and then crucified outside of Jerusalem, hung on a Roman cross. Dying on that cross and then being laid in a tomb, buried and a stone rolled across the entrance to the tomb. A week before, Jesus had entered into Jerusalem being worshipped. The people loved and adored him. What the disciples expected was that Jesus would be almost like a conquering king. That he would be someone who would overthrow the oppression of the Romans who ruled the Jews at this time. They thought Jesus would be put on a throne, not on a cross to die and certainly not in a tomb to rot. The expectation versus the reality. Well, if they thought that Friday was surprising, then Sunday would be a real roller coaster for them all, which is what we're going to look at today. Perhaps you're listening and asking the question, why should we think about Easter? Why should we think about it now? With everything else going on in our world, in our communities, in our streets, in our homes and in our lives, why is Easter and the message of Easter and the reality of Easter important? My response to this question is simply this. It's important because it's true, and because it's true, we can all have hope. If I asked you what you wanted right now, what you wished for, I wonder how many of us would say hope. The message of Easter is as essential now as it has ever been, because what it offers and delivers is unquestionable, concrete and complete hope. In fact, without the resurrection of Jesus, we as Christians don't have any hope. One of Jesus' followers, Paul the Apostle, who went on to write much of our New Testament, he described how the resurrection of Jesus is essential and fundamental to the Christian faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, writing to a church uh, about the resurrection, says this, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he then appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Then he goes on to say in verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. The importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ cannot be overstated. It has been said that the resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone on which the whole of Christianity is built. The pastor and writer Tim Keller once said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Everything in the Christian faith depends on the historical fact of the resurrection. 
Without an empty tomb, Christianity as a faith is empty. If it is false, Christianity is no different to any other message. If it is true, the implications are enormous. They are earth transforming, they're universe changing. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, the consequences for your life and my life are immense. Mark Driscoll, a writer and pastor, once said this, no one can remain neutral regarding Jesus' resurrection. The claim is too staggering, the event too earth-shaking, the implications too significant and the matter too serious. We must either receive it or reject it as truth for us. To remain indifferent or undecided is to reject it. You know, one of my favourite television shows when I was younger was BBC's Merlin, which portrayed a young wizard Merlin and a young Prince Arthur meeting, getting to know each other and having a great number of adventures and battles. And when I heard it was ending as a series, I was gutted, though I was excited to see how they were going to end it. And the finale took place on Christmas Day, and I still remember now how excited I was to see the ending. And then I watched it, and I remember as the episode finished thinking that was the worst ending to a series ever. It completely ruined my Christmas day. I don't want to give any spoilers away, so I won't say what happens. If you ever watch the programme, just don't watch the last episode. I was so angry and upset about it. It was just an anticlimactic ending and one that just disappointed. And as a comparison, if Jesus had died and stayed dead, the Christian faith could also be considered as anticlimactic and disappointing. In fact, Christianity would have no basis. There would be no hope, there would be no joy, there would be no church. Everything Jesus said prior to his death could be forgotten. That's how essential the resurrection is to the Christian faith. But if he is alive, what are the implications? The truth of Jesus' bodily resurrection was never meant to be just a matter of academic discussion or a topic in an RE lesson. It has practical implications and headline meaning for our lives here and now. I said earlier that if the resurrection is true, then it would have enormous implications on your life and mine. Why? Well, if Jesus is alive, if that tomb is empty, then that means that Jesus was and is who he claims to be. It stands him apart from any other good moral teacher or deep spiritual thinker. It means his claim to be God in flesh, God as a man, is true. He's not just an excellent man, he's nothing less than God in bodily form, God made flesh. Jesus did and said many remarkable things in his life on earth. One of those things is found in John chapter 14. And Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking about a place that he's going to, a place where God is. And he describes God as his father. And his disciples ask him, what do you mean? Where are you going and how do we get there? And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. And then he says a little later in verse 19, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If Jesus had died and stayed dead, these words would mean very little in reality. But Jesus' resurrection is the sign that everything he said is true. In the book of Romans, Paul writes about this and he says, God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
The resurrection does not allow us to abandon Jesus to history. Because he is alive, he is no less than who he claimed to be, the Son of God. C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Narnia book, said this, You must make your choice. Either this man, Jesus, was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us he did not intend to. So the resurrection shows us that Jesus is who he said he was. If he is God, sir, then why did he come? Last week, Nathaniel talked about the death of Jesus on the cross. And in the current situation, sadly, we're seeing or hearing about death on a regular basis. It is likely to be more on our minds at the moment, particularly as we think of people we love and care for who are, are perhaps vulnerable at this time. Death holds fear for many. But you see, Jesus' death had a purpose. To understand the significance of Jesus' death, we have to go back to the beginning. As Emily read for us earlier from the book of John, Jesus' tomb was actually located in a garden, close by to where he was crucified. And I find that so interesting and meaningful because actually to understand why Jesus came, we have to go to another garden. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis, we read that when God created the world, he created all things good. And he created humans in his own image to be rulers and representatives over his world, to be in a complete relationship with him. Humans had all security, all self-worth and significance in their creator God. And placing humanity in a garden, God created us to be choosing beings, free to choose to love him as our creator or to reject him. And we know the story, I'm sure, that the enemy Satan came to humanity and caused us to question God, to doubt him. And through his deception, humanity made a choice to find security and self-worth and significance in something else, in ourselves ultimately. We rejected our own designer and creator and the relationship we were created for was broken. And in that choice, we rebelled against God. That rebellion is called sin. And the Bible says in Romans 5 verse 12 that because of our sin, death and separation from God came as a consequence. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. I'm sure all of us, whoever we are, would say that this, that we have done wrong, that we have done things in our lives that we're not proud of, that we have sinned. And so through a decision in a garden, sin and death entered our reality. Through our decision, it entered our reality. Though hope was promised to humanity. God the creator promised humanity that one day someone would come to crush our enemy Satan and his work. To restore our relationship with God which was broken by our rebellion and our sin. To bring about forgiveness and new life. A place to start renewed with our creator God. Hope was promised in a garden. And as we come to today and think about Jesus and his resurrection, we can say that hope is fulfilled in a garden, in a garden where a tomb is empty. You see, Jesus, God's son, came as a man to this world to break something, to break the power of sin and death that has separated us from God, to forgive our sin, to restore our relationship with our creator God and allow us to begin a new life. 
Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 to 15 say this, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to for the fear of dying. Today, wherever you are, right now, you can know the fear of death broken in your life. You can come to a God who created you and longs to be in a relationship with you. Michael Green, a popular speaker and author, wrote a book on the resurrection of Jesus and it's titled The Day Death Died. I love that title. As Jesus walks out of the tomb, the power of sin and death is defeated. One of Jesus' followers, Peter, described how death could not even hold on to Jesus. In Acts chapter 2 verse 24 it says this, But God the Father released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep its grip could not keep him in its grip. We la learnt last week of how Jesus was on the cross because of our wrong and to take our sin to the grave, to remove its power and to make the way for us to be forgiven. And Jesus' sinless life and his sacrificial death allow us to experience God's forgiveness and the hope beyond death. How do we receive this hope, this forgiveness, this relationship with God? Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says this, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If you give your life to Jesus today, turn your life to him and follow in his ways by accepting who he is and what he has done for you, you'll be forgiven of your sin and experience freedom from the fear of death. You'll receive a relationship with your creator God and a certain hope. A hope of what? Well, it's hope for now, but it's also hope that lasts forever. A hope that starts the moment you give your life to Jesus and carries on for eternity, forever. A famous verse that many know, but I hope is a reality for you today. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The hope of the resurrection is not just for this life on earth, it goes beyond death. The hope a Christian has is eternal and unending. Not only because we get to enjoy this hope here and now, but also we have promised a future with God beyond death. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, speaks of a coming day where God will create a new heaven and earth and we as his people will be with him. One of Jesus' followers, John, has a vision of this and says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Not only do followers of Jesus not need to fear death, here and now, but we as God's people are promised to be a part of something new. All the power that separated us from God is defeated. All that remains is for us to give our lives back to our creator through believing in Jesus and following him. To quote C.S. Lewis again, Jesus has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of the new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has opened. 
So Jesus is who he said he was. The resurrection proves that. And God's enemies and our enemies, sin, death and Satan are defeated. Though we still face and battle them daily as Christians, we remember that because of the empty tomb, they have no power over us. Through believing in Jesus, we share in his victory. The resurrection has won that for us. The resurrection, though, is not just an end to some things. The resurrection of Jesus also was and is the beginning. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 talks about not only Jesus' resurrection, but also the resurrection of the dead in a future day. He speaks of the hope of the day when we as followers of Jesus will be called to him to be with him. And then at the end of this explanation of the resurrection, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Paul connects the reality of Jesus' resurrection and our present hope in the day to come when those of us will, who follow Jesus will be with him. He connects those things to our present reality. And Paul speaks about working for the Lord here and now. You see, Jesus walking out of the tomb wasn't just an end to the power of sin and death for those who believe in him. Things didn't just end. His resurrection also heralded a beginning, a beginning to a new creation and a new humanity, something that will be fully uh, fulfilled and completely one day like we read about in Revelation. But there is a real sense that as Jesus followers, we have a role in bringing this new life to the world here and now, this new life that we have. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 to 21, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Jesus, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. When we give our life to Jesus and seek to follow him, we receive a new life. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 describes this, how we leave our old life behind through the cross of Jesus and live a new life in the resurrection of Jesus. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 reminded us, we also receive a new life, but we receive a purpose. We become a part of the new creation that began at the empty tomb. As we as Christians work and serve here, we work and serve Jesus here and now, we're working with him to reconcile the world back to himself, back to its creator. Through Easter and through the resurrection, we are able to be a part of God's plan of restoring his creation back to himself. We see a hint of this in what's often called the Lord's Prayer, where it says in praying to God the Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you're a Christian, you are a part of that work here and now of reconciling the creation to its creator. Jesus, in one of his lessons on the great sermon on the Mount, talks about his followers being salt and light in the world. Two things that have positive impact in the spheres that they operate in. Salt which preserves and light which brings life and direction 
Christians are to be that in this world and in, in that way bring about something of the new creation that we are a part of. If we've trusted in Jesus Christ, we have a new relationship with God, but we also have a new relationship to sin as well. Romans chapter 6 talks about this, where it says this in verse uh, 12 to 13. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Paul describes to us how we as Christians, through belief, uh, participate in Jesus' death and resurrection. We are made alive, but this new life we have means we need to think about ourselves in a new way. And by acting in accordance with a, a new status, being salt and light in this world. We are to live under the rule we were created for originally, God's rule, and commit ourselves to his work in his world. And the beauty of this is that we don't do this alone. After Jesus rose from the dead, before he returned to heaven, he says this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Because of Jesus' victory over sin, death and the devil, he has all authority. He sends out his followers to start working and labouring that they, and now we, may tell and show the world the message of reconciliation that is possible through God's Son, Jesus. And then we have those wonderful words that Jesus is with us by his Spirit who helps us and aids us in our work for God. Tom Wright, a scholar and author, says this of the way that we as Christians are to live and show today. Now there is a, a, a completely different way to live, a way of love and reconciliation and healing and hope. It's a way nobody's ever tried before, a way that is unthinkable to most human beings and societies as, well, resurrection itself. Precisely, that's the point. Welcome to Jesus' new world. How do we as church do this now, today, in our current reality? How do we live out our present hope now? Well, we must share this hope that we have with those around us, that the empty tomb means sin and death is vanquished and that Jesus provides us with eternal hope if we repent and believe and follow Jesus. That through these uncertain times, people can know where they stand before their maker. We as Christians too need to examine ourselves to see if there is sin that we are still enslaved to. To remember that we're not our own, we belong to God and his kingdom and his purposes are the ones we serve now, not our own. And we need to remember that whatever happens, God's purposes will not be thwarted. That we have a hope that is eternal. That as we struggle and perhaps suffer, we set our minds on what we can do now to serve God and love God, as well as serve and love people, but also with an eye on what's ahead. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 to 4 says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory.
as we go about our lives here and now. Of course, very different in some ways, hindered. Our hope isn't hindered. The reality of the resurrection has not been thwarted by coronavirus. Our identity and position before God as Christians has not changed. The life Jesus promised, a life to the full, coronavirus can't touch that. Why? Because the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. Eternal and unwavering hope is secure if we have given our lives to him. We can say like Paul, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? I'd like to just finish with a poem that I saw this week. It's called How the Virus Stole Easter. It's by Christy Bother. And it says with a nod to Dr. Zeus. T'was late in 19 when the virus began, bringing chaos and fear to all people each land. People were sick, hospitals full, doctors overwhelmed, no one in school. As winter gave way to the promise of spring, the virus raged on, touching peasant and king. People hid in their homes from the enemy unseen. They YouTubed and Zoomed, social distanced and cleaned. April approached and churches were closed. There won't be an Easter, the world supposed. There won't be church services and egg hunts are out. No reason for new dresses when we can't go about. Holy Week started as bleak as the rest. The world was focused on masks and on tests. Easter can't happen this year, it proclaimed. Online and at home it just won't be the same. Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, the days came and went. The virus pressed on, it just would not relent. The world woke Sunday and nothing had changed. The virus still menaced. The people estranged. Poo-poo to the saints, the world was grumbling. They're finding out now that no Easter is coming. They're just waking up. We know just what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open a minute or two. And then all the saints will all cry boo-hoo. That noise, said the world, will be something to hear. So it paused and the world put a hand to its ear. And it did hear a sound coming through all the skies. It started down low, then it started to rise. But the sound wasn't depressed. Why, this sound was triumphant. It couldn't be so, but it grew with abundance. And the world, with its life quite stuck in quarantine, stood puzzling and puzzling. Just how can it be? It came without bonnets. It came without bunnies. It came without egg hunts, katatas or money. Then the world thought of something it hadn't before. Maybe Easter, it thought doesn't come from a store. Maybe Easter perhaps means a little bit more. And what happened then? Well, the story's not done. What will you do? Will you share with that one? Or two or more people needing hope in this night? Will you share the source of your life in this fight? The churches are empty, but so is the tomb. And Jesus is victor over death, doom and gloom. So this year at Easter, let this be our prayer. As virus still rages all around everywhere, may the world see hope when it looks at God's people. May the world see the church is not a building or steeple. May the world find faith in Jesus' death and resurrection. May the world find joy in a time of dejection. May 2020 be known as the year of survival, but not only that, let it start a revival. Coronavirus does not change the reality that Jesus is alive, that the tomb is empty. Easter is not cancelled. In fact, its message is as essential now as it has ever been. Hope and new life can be yours today. Come to the risen Jesus. 
Give your life to him in repentance. Turn your life to him. He offers you forgiveness, companionship, peace, hope and life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the hope that we find in the empty tomb. Lord Jesus, we praise you and worship you that you have conquered sin, death and Satan. There is no power in them anymore, Lord. You are the power. You are the victory. Thank you for letting us share in that victory. Lord God, we praise and worship you for the hope that we have, the, the life that we have, the, the new creation and new humanity that we're a part of. Lord, we praise and worship you that one day we look forward to a world, a heaven and a new earth that you will create, where death there will not be, no pain, no tears. And Lord, you will be and dwell with us. Father, we thank you for this message of hope. We thank you for the empty tomb. In Jesus' name, for his kingdom, for his glory. Amen.